Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought. From Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Rebecca King, and today, so close to Halloween, we're investigating Pearl Curran, an early 20th century writer in St. Louis who channeled whole novels, essays, and poetry through a Ouija board, or more specifically, through a spirit who called herself Patience Worth. If this story sounds a little bizarre to you, you're not alone. Researchers have been investigating her spiritual claims for almost a century. Daniel Shea, professor emeritus in the English department at Washington University in St. Louis, recently wrote a book about the phenomenon called The Patience of Pearl, Spiritualism and Authorship in the Writing of Pearl Curran. And he made some pretty fascinating observations in the process. But let's start at the beginning. Who was Pearl Curran? Pearl Curran was born Pearl Lenore Pollard. Her father was, for a while, a newspaper writer and did a lot with dialect. They lived in Texas for a while, but mostly St. Louis. When all this began to happen, Pearl had been married several years to John Curran, who was immigration commissioner for Missouri. She did her housewifely chores for some time until 1912, friend of hers had a Ouija board and had experience with a Ouija board and in a sense taught her. Over a year, this is a paradox, Pearl Curran learned to be passive, that is, to do less with her conscious intention of what she might want out of the board and be sufficiently unconscious to let something operate I think it's still in Pearl Curran, that eventually called itself Patience Worth. So in July 1913, the board said, many moons ago I lived, again I come, Patience Worth my name. Thus, Patience Worth was born again. From this collaboration, Pearl and Patience wrote nine novels, in addition to poetry, essays, and plays. Given that the author lacks a body, what did this writing process look like? The usual setting was a patient's worth session. People are invited over. They do have questions. She writes a poem or six about that. And then she will say something like, tis enough or tis nuff. And she goes to her writing. And it becomes very clear that this is what she's after. And Pearl Curran said that, uh, too. So she's dictating from the movement of the board, which goes letter by letter, T-H-E-A-N-D, and so on. Her husband is writing as fast as he can because there were thousands of words dictated on any evening. From what her usual editor, Caspar Yost, a St. Louis newspaper man, said, one gathers that they punctuated, and particularly for the poems, It's one long line. Where do the poetic lines end? So they have to make that kind of division. And there are mistakes. Maybe it wasn't T-H-E. So 
they make it into a readable manuscript, and that's what gets sent off. What we don't know is whether there was any substantive or stylistic revision. I, I don't think so. If there was, it would have been minor, I think, because everything that's on the page seems so characteristic of patient's worth, or it's consistent with itself. So I don't think it's like that. Eventually, and I have to throw this in, she sets the Ouija board aside and goes to a typewriter, which horrified her husband because that seemed to suggest that patient's worth wasn't really patient's worth. Here's a woman writing fiction at a typewriter. So eventually she was able in public appearances, this is after her husband died, she had to make a living. She would hold on to a jewelry pin or something to concentrate her mind. And so a question would come for patient's worth, she would respond, but in a slightly different voice, people said. And she always felt kind of throbbing in her head, some pressure in her head. I don't think she had any reason to make that up. Over time, Pearl became a sort of celebrity, frequently appearing in the local newspapers. She traveled to California to meet with and advise famous Hollywood stars, such as Mary Pickford, and was once even invited to the Northeast to meet with psychologists who were anxious to expose what they saw as the truth of her act. When she traveled east, she had a meeting scheduled with a psychologist who was going to hypnotize her. And she made fairly big news by refusing to be hypnotized. Evidently, what she feared was being separated from what was happening to her. So there were some people who doubted Pearl's claims that she was summoning a spirit from beyond throughout her career. Let's back up a little bit then and hear more about this spirit, Patience Worth. Despite the Native American sound of many moons ago, I see that as borrowed from a spiritualist tradition. Patience Worth described herself eventually as a 17th century Puritan, so she would have emigrated from England, Dorset, she said, and came to New England in the mid-17th century. She said she lived on Nantucket and eventually died when there was an Indian raid and an arrow reached her and killed her. That's my smooth way of putting it. Information like that had to be pulled out of the Ouija board a little at a time. And frequently, she would stumble and pause and hesitate before she could come up with any kind of response. By the time she was done telling the story, it became very polished. And it begins to read like a novel of the period. But she's not good about place names. Who was the governor then? A little vague on fact. These are only some of the red flags that went off for Professor Shea when he began researching the patient's worth phenomenon. I did write about spiritual autobiography in my first book, and they were Puritans and Quakers. So when I heard about a woman who had a spirit that said she was a Puritan, the more I read, I thought, no, she's not a Puritan. Anybody who's read anything in that period would say she's not a Although it was quickly clear to Professor Shea that Patience Worth was not a Puritan spirit, speaking across space and time to Pearl Curran as claimed, he soon formed a new hypothesis for this voice. 
and it's a more common experience than you might have guessed. The answer can be found in literature of the last millennia, and in psychology. The discipline Pearl once feared would break her connection with this voice. It's very common for writers to report the basic experience that she's talking about without giving it a name like Patience Worth. Historically, they might have called it the muse who's speaking through them. So in itself, that's not unusual. I think now that neurosciences are doing so much research in the brain, the whole question of how the apparently silent, unspoken contents, if you will, or processes of the brain, how those things come forward when they are not consciously called, that is a very interesting experience. And as I say, it is common. You can find writers a year ago, six months ago, three days ago, talking about that, a common version of this, a little off to one side. But in The Scarlet Letter, the Reverend Dimsdale is going to make his confession the next day. So he stays up all night writing a sermon. And the way Hawthorne does it is to demonstrate or to dramatize apparently a flow of words that he did not plan, that he has no immediate sense of while he's writing. It's just the activity of the night. And in the morning, he looks up and it's done, it's finished. So what does he call that? Give it a name. In this case, it's Patience Worth. The notion of inspiration as an experience of something other than oneself is an old one. Writing, though, is not the only instance where Patience Worth expresses the unconscious thoughts of Pearl Curran, especially when it came to Pearl's two daughters. The first got a great deal of newspaper coverage in 1916, when Patience Worth, apparently, told the Currans that they needed to adopt a child and gave fairly specific description of what that child ought to look like and then told them when it would be available. Now, they went out and they were looking also, but the result of it was the adoption of a baby they called Patience We. That wasn't her legal name, but they called her that, and dressed her in little girl Puritan clothes. So that was not the biological child of the Currens. Mr. Curran had a child by a previous marriage, and... Pearl seems to have been a good enough mother, but they were not able to conceive. And presumably, that urge came out of Pearl in the form of Patience Worth saying, go get a kid. So, okay, that's the first child. Later, in 1922, she had her own biological child. Her husband, at the point when the conception would have taken place, late in 1921, had been bedridden for about a year. He was very seriously ill. In the next summer, he died. So the timing here is the daughter, in this case, was born after he died, somewhere between six and seven months, not quite seven months. So the conception would have had to take place when he was really nearing death. So I felt I had to write at some point about what kinds of questions that raised. And I would have had nothing to say except that one of the women who knew the family mentioned a man that 
she seemed to have no doubt about it, was the father. And so I looked for that name in the Patients Worth record, and indeed, that man had visited Patients Worth sessions quite, as it were, religiously, with his wife and his two daughters. He was a lawyer. He became an advisor to them when there were some property questions. And at the same time, this is what I thought was interesting, Patients Worth starts talking about subjects like honor and fidelity and law with a capital L and begins to talk about a dark knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. He was a Knights of Columbus member, this man. So although it's not DNA, and I didn't want to use that kind of definitive language, I did want to set that forth. Thanks to Daniel Shea for contributing to Hold That Thought. If you're interested in reading more, check out The Patience of Pearl, Spiritualism and Authorship in the Writing of Pearl Curran. The Missouri History Museum also holds the Patience Worth record for those of you who are interested in seeing some of the original manuscripts. And thanks again for tuning in. As always, you can find Hold That Thought on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, and Stitcher. Be sure to come back next week for the return of American Identities.